Hey guys, it's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival, and on this episode, we've got an extra special treat for you. It's the Commonwealth Edition. So we've got some friends from Australia. Um, you know them as Lucy Lumen and Matt Murray, and we're going to chat with them next. Roll the theme tune. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival. Coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> hey, Matt, Lucy, how you doing? Hello, Bill. I'm yeah, G'day. I'm good. I'm recovering from uh, from COVID, um, but I'm feeling a lot better than I have been, and I'm um, glad to be. On here, um, having some so- having some social interactions because uh, I've been stuck inside for nearly seven days. So, <laughs> oh boy. yeah, that, that could probably uh, that that could probably drive you around the bend if you're not used to solitude. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very well, thanks. Um, my wife has just got COVID, so it, there's a bit of a wave going on here because we're right in the middle of our winter. So, um, yeah, hopefully it'll it'll pass soon. So you guys are in Queensland, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So what's the winter temperatures down there? Because we're in summer. Do you do Celsius or Fahrenheit? We do Celsius up here. Oh, excellent. This excellent. is a Canadian podcast. <laughs> excellent. I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear yeah, it. Yeah, I was worried to answer because I can never do that. I was like, I'll let Matt answer this so one. The, the very, this morning, um, it was, hang on, the, it's seven. Okay. So this morning it was seven degrees Celsius, which is really cold for us. Yeah. Uh, so which, is, yeah. <laughs> which is 44 Fahrenheit for our uh, American friends. And today it's going to get up to about 19, which okay. is 66 in the old money. Um, but it's, it's, it's lovely and sunny. Like usually in winter, we don't get much rain and it's like, it's a beautiful yeah. sunny day, blue skies. So when you're, it's, it's actually really cold. Our houses aren't built very well. There's no double glazing or very good yeah. insulation. Because it's so, so hot. Yeah, four design. degrees, you'll feel it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you really yeah. feel it indoors. Like I've had the heater pumping and yeah, I'm, I'm freezing. Well, a lot of English people <laughs> move here. Like my wife's English and Lucy's parents are English. A lot of English people move here thinking oh, Australia, it's going to be hot. And they don't realize there's no gas central heating in, in the houses here in Queensland. And they, like, I've never been What's so cold. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because yeah, up here, we like today's temperature was probably about 28 degrees Celsius. Oh, wow. Balmy. It's, yeah, wasn't it, the humidity isn't there. It's gonna. It's actually. It was, uh, it was humid yesterday, but oh yeah, so, yeah. Those temperatures pretty much align with Canadian spring, so that's generally our spring temperature range. Nice. And winter, okay. yeah. it goes down to wow. There's a little thing we call the polar vortex. There's that, yeah. And that goes down to like minus thirty. Oh, we don't talk about God. those times. We don't talk about those times. Yeah. I feel bad for complaining now. Everything's relative. I've heard Sherry Christensen say like it gets to minus 40 where she is, like an hour oh, yeah. is, is oh, yeah, bad but where you guys are. Or? Uh, well, I used to live in that part of the country out in the prairies, part of my childhood there. And uh, minus 40s in the winter was quite common, but it was a dry cold. You can dress for a dry cold. You come to Toronto <laughs> It can be just below freezing, like zero Celsius, yeah. but the dampness will cut right to the bone, regardless of how many layers you have. Mm. Yeah. Great legs for you. So getting off weather. So um, 
<laughs> I've been following both your, well, I've been following Lucy on Instagram for a while now. And on that, I know you through a few communities on Facebook. How did you guys find each other? Are you guys sort of local to each other uh, in Queensland? We're about narrow way, aren't we? Yeah, it's about about an hour drive. Yeah, okay. so it's not too it's not too far, but we don't really see each other that often um, because of that distance, and also just like, <laughs> the one hour um, drive is just too like, much. <laughs> can't be too bothered. The car doesn't warrant seeing Mount Murray. So I think like you know family life and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But um, but yeah, we're pretty like we're we're pretty close. Um, and I think we met. Um, we were talking about this the other day. I think Matt, I found Matt's podcast like around the same time I started the channel and cause he was, he was Australian and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And then um, I was thinking about starting my YouTube channel and I put out a thing on my story saying, um, can anybody recommend any mm. like female uh, film photography, like YouTube channels. And cause I was watching a lot of stuff and I couldn't find like, you know, there, there was a couple, but I hadn't found as many as I'd like. Um, and Matt got back to me and he suggested, Jess Hobbs, who unfortunately um, isn't here. I was looking forward to uh, chatting with with Jess and getting to like, you know, meet her. Um, but yeah, so he suggested her and then a few other people. And then, yeah, we just got chatting. I said, oh, I listened to your podcast. I really like it. And literally from that day, I don't want to sound cheesy, but literally from that day, I feel like me and Matt have spoken like pr- almost like every day, mm. like, you know, or like super regularly since then mostly well, yeah. about photography and also about you know other other things like normally family normally family family and photography <laughs> yeah and again yeah. you both use point and shoots a lot with your work do you find you were sort of gravitated towards each other because uh the mm. choice of hardware i think so what do you think matt yeah i think so like obviously you know you've got a as film photographers, you have a lot in common with anyone who does film photography, but then obviously people who gravitate towards the same kind of process or same kind of equipment or same subject, perhaps you'll have a little bit more in common. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think like I liked Matt's yeah use of point and shoots and he seemed like he was like having a lot of fun with his photography and not taking it like too seriously, which is something like, I do and want to promote. Um, and we have a similar style as well. Like Matt really likes, you know, using color film. And even I was watching Matt's um, most recent YouTube video last night and like me and my partner were saying like, oh, that looks like very similar to something I would shoot or I would look for like in a composition or just, yeah, like color and all that sort of stuff. So we look for similar scenes and um, yeah, I feel like we kind of just get around with our cameras like similar um, and Matt doesn't get too, you know, like he never messages me about like a lens or like a you know like 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 those sort of things that a lot of people those that people. are really into photography <laughs> talk about lenses <laughs> i'm just you know uh like yeah notorious i feel, I feel labeled <laughs> you lens people <laughs> my partner's okay like bill that, so. we still love you don't trigger bill don't trigger bill we're all gonna have a deal yeah um so. yeah that's I feel like that hopefully that explained uh okay yeah what drew me to to Matthew Murray of Matt Loves Cameras <laughs> yeah so I also I sort of curious what drew you to photography in the first place was it something you always did or was it a hobby that was introduced to you later on as sort of the classic you're working too hard you need a hobby here you go go play that <laughs> <laughs> for me or for Lucy Lucy either or for both for both, right. absolutely. You got Lucy okay. on a roll. Okay, all right. Thank you, Matt. Um, so I started taking photos when I was like 
17. Um, one of my friends had uh, like a, a Holger camera and um, like other like pinhole cameras that she was just playing around with. And then she had some like point and shoots she'd got in like thrift stores and stuff. She was a bit older than me and I thought she was really cool. She was very arty and, you know, like I really like looked up to her. Um, and I never really like tried to sort of tried that hard. I just sort of took a few photos with the cameras that she had. Um, and then I moved to, uh, to Melbourne, which is like more of an artsy sort of city as opposed to where like Matt and I live in Queensland. Um, and then I got, you know, some like vintage SLRs and started trying like a lot harder with, with, with film. Um, I've always been like very into like creative stuff or really into like, you know, music and movies and like artsy mm. stuff, but I've never been able to really do anything, if that makes sense. Like I'd try and, you know, I don't know, like write poetry and it would just be crap or I would, I don't know, try and play an instrument and I couldn't do it or do you know what I mean? Like all these sort of failed Yeah, um, it's, it's attempts. sort of like, <laughs> I think we're all those people that, okay, we're utterly useless so we could never be in a band poetry yeah. we could probably use a little form of non-invasive torture in some black site somewhere <laughs> uh an art well we, we could probably do stick figures so again we're we're great at composing a scene and going click yeah it's a lot easier and, <laughs> um like the barrier to entry felt like a lot lower than all the other mm. things that i was trying to do and everyone around me was doing and they seemed like they were doing them so well and i wanted to be involved in like some way so photography seemed like a good thing for me to pick up um and film photography like seemed cool because it had that like more arty kind of vibe to it than you know shooting digital or whatever so um so yeah I just I was playing around for um quite quite a few years but like not really like I wasn't immersed in it like how I am now um it was yeah more like a just just a, a hobby that I would kind of like pick up and and leave for a few months and like come back to mm-hmm. um and I was doing a lot of different stuff like I was sort of shooting like my friends and um coming up with like conceptual kind of like portrait shoots and you know copying characters from movies and um you know getting involved in like doing the makeup and like the Mm -hmm. clothes and like all that and then like shooting it on on film so very different to like what I'm doing now um I tried like a lot of different things like like you do when you pick up photography like I tried doing the street photography thing and I remember like the Vivian Mayer um documentary came out um and like that I was like oh wow this is so cool I'll try try and do that and um you know I tried to do like medium format and that was just such a mess and um yeah I feel like I was kind of lost and I was just trying all these different things and nothing was really um ever really sort of working until I got uh my Nikon F80 and then I could put it on auto (laughs) and and then everything was just so much easier and I was having like a way better um like a way better time with that camera Mm -hmm. like it was more reliable and you know, um, and then, yeah, from there, like, I've just sort of picked it up and, and stopped, like, I've stopped doing it for even a few years. At, at um, one point, I just completely, like, stopped taking photos. I think I felt kind of disheartened by, like, I didn't really, I didn't have an end goal for my photography or mm. I tried a few things. I think I was a lot more sensitive back then, but, like, I tried to enter, I entered a few competitions, like, ones where you pay and, you, you know, you enter and you might get exhibited and stuff like that. Um, and then a couple of online things and a few things stuck and a few things didn't. And I think if I did that now, it wouldn't bother me. But then like, you know, this is like early twenties, I was a lot more sensitive and fragile and, and I was kind of almost looking for an excuse to 
like give up, I suppose, you know, like, oh, no one, no one's paying attention to my like art, like that whole kind of uh, narrative. And then, um, so yeah, so I stopped for a long time um, and, you know, was doing other things with my life. And then since having, uh, since meeting Lux and like, you know, he was into photography. So that sort of brought it back for, for both of us. Cause you know, we have that common interest and then having a baby as well, because I've said this before on um, my podcast and on other podcasts, but yeah, like I really lost myself in like being a mom and I was quite, uh, I had a really hard time, like right after I had him. Uh, so photography really saved me in that way. And now I feel a lot more bonded to it because it got me through like a hard, mm-hmm. a hard time. And it's given me like an identity outside of, you know, just being a mom or, um, and yeah. And now I have a completely different relationship with it than I did when I was like 21, which obviously is probably just growing up as well. I think, <laughs> cause I'm like 30 now and I think you care less what people think or yeah, I don't know, like, yeah, how you're perceived, like that just lessens as you get older. So yeah. So what about you, Matt? Well, I was never really into photography as a kid. I mean, there was always cameras around, but none of my family really had cameras. We had photo albums and that was about it. Um, the one thing I really was interested in was overseas. Like we, I grew up in Australia. I was born in the seventies. I grew up in Brisbane in the eighties. The world seemed a little bit bigger back then. You know, like uh, if you ever met someone from a different country, I mean, it's a lot of pe- a lot of migrants in Australia, a lot of people from different backgrounds. So it's not unusual meeting someone from a different background. But if you met someone who said, I'm here from Canada, or I'm here from, the, from America, it was like, wow, it was a big deal. And so I always wanted to travel. Um, I think by the age I was six, I could actually um, reel off all 50 uh, United States. That was one of my party tricks, you know, and I, I was, you know, seeing these scenes, <laughs> Lucy's laughing at me, it was all these, um, you know, scenes on TV from America and, and you know, Europe and uh, UK of, you know, Big Ben and and the leading Tarapies are all these amazing places. So as a teenager, I, I, always, I always thought, well, I'm going to finish high school, go to uni, and then I'm just going to go traveling. That's that's pretty much what I did. I, travel was always my first love. And when, um, you know, you go traveling back in the old days, um, I'll, I'm just going to get a prop. Hang on. Um, sorry. So back in the old days, you always had to buy a guidebook, right? So this is a, probably Australia's most famous um, guidebook company, Lonely Planet. Um, yeah, founded by we two got Brits. them up here too. Probably numb, yeah. Some Americans have no idea what I'm talking about when I say Lonely Planet. So these are, this is the typical Lonely Planet book. You know, it's about an inch or two thick, depending where you're going. There's always in the middle, uh, there's always, well, these are a bit different than modern ones. But in the old school ones, it was always like travel photos right in the middle. They'd be like, you know, uh. five or six pages of these beautiful travel photos taken by professional travel photographers. And so whenever, whenever I picked up a new guide, if I was going to, you know, England or France, I'd always pick it up and look at the photos. And I guess um, I bought a camera to go overseas, a little Pentax Zoom 90. And yeah, I think to me, it was just trying to emulate. I wanted to get the photos they got in the guidebook. And that's really the only way, I, the only reason I got into photography. I, re, I really wasn't interested in photography per se. I was interested in, in just trying to, you know, get a, a match with what they were getting. And that's what led me into it. And even even now, the photos that I take, you know, the last two, three years, we haven't done much traveling because of, you know, COVID and whatever. But hmm. even now, I feel like my, my style is travel photography, but without the travel, you know, I'm doing travel <laughs> photography local. I'm trying to make places that maybe look a bit, you know, places around here, some places are really pretty around where we live and some places are just a bit crap. And I'm, I love going to the places that are a bit crap and make them look like they're a film set, you know? And so that's, that's what I, I really enjoy doing. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Again, like everyone has, well, people are traveling now. And <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> we all know how that's turning out. Um, yeah. Again, yeah, I, it's funny in my case, and I guess James and all that, we're kind of, we kind of photograph our environment around us. And then, you know, when I say our environment, it's like usually about an hour's drive either way mm. into the, into the Toronto outside of Toronto, we've got all sorts of different attractions. And, and again, like Australia, Canada is a big country and a mm. lot of it's pretty empty, yep. especially in the middle. Yeah. Yep. just like australia mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah very similar yeah yeah so um i know you guys have been sort of like chatting a lot about the new film emulsions that are coming out in fact you've you i i'm in some ways envious that you've had to get a hold of some of the adox color mission which i oh yeah yeah that one just disappeared i think in a matter of hours and I was lucky to get some sense still 400 D. So uh, of the, t- of the two, which, which one would you be happy to have a refrigerated shipping container in your backyard full of forever? <laughs> for me, it would be the 400 D. And yeah. as I said in my latest video, not for the reason I thought I, I shot it at box speed. It looked great. But you know, on this, if you looked at all the FAQ on city stills website, they were basically saying it can be shot anywhere from ISO 200 to ISO 800 under normal with normal processing, or it could be push processed up to ISO 3200. And I just sort of like a little light bulb went above my head. And then when you pick up a canister, I haven't got a canister of it around here, but when you pick up a canister on 35 mil, it says, you know, there's little check boxes on there to say to your lab, you know, if you're sending to a lab or just for your own notes, you know, push one stop, push two stops, push three stops. And this was like, wow, okay, like they really want you to push it. And so I've shot four, three or four rolls now at ISO 1600 with a two-stop push in development. Uh, and to me, it just looks fantastic. It, it looks, it actually looks better than my Nutura stocks. I've had Nutura and 1600, uh, Superior 1600, I've bought fresh uh, from when it was being discontinued, put in the fridge. 400D push two stops looks better than Nutura, in my opinion. The, the oh. colors are better and the grain is less noticeable. So yeah. although I love Adox Color Mission, I love Adox Color Mission, I'd go for 400D. And Lucy is nodding in agreement because, well, before we hit the record button, she was uh, saying, yeah, I fell in love with this film. Mm, yeah, I wish I wish I had more. I was, yeah, I was saying before we um, pressed record that I've given the other role to Lux to shoot because, like, that's only fair that we have, like, a role each. Um, but, yeah, I'll definitely be getting some more um, as soon as I can. I, I was really, really impressed with it and it was, like, a really, yeah, like, exciting film to to use and... Um, I do have some ADOX thanks to Matt because Matt's just onto everything and then he'll say, I'll, I'll, give, I'll like, you know, sell you a couple of rolls, which is really nice. So I've got some ADOX. I just haven't been able to uh, to shoot it yet. And I did really like what Matt got and what I've seen from other YouTubers, like the colors and stuff. And, um, and 100 ISO is normally like pretty good because it's really sunny here and I like to shoot like, you know, when it's really bright out. So yeah, I'll, I, I feel like I can't choose until I've shot both of them. But yeah, 400D is like really, really special. It's just the the price we were saying before. Um, Bill, you said it's like pretty close, like a dollar difference to Portra. Give or take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I should check because, uh, again, it's sort of like they have the release price. And like, I, I, I'd be curious to see what the regular price. I'm going to have to look on uh in the U.S., look at BH Photo as sort of the benchmark. Yeah. And then, I think again, I saw it was like 15, 
maybe maybe fifteen dollars US on like B and H. I think when I wrote an article, uh, I yeah, I should know that, but yeah, I'm yeah, pretty sure that that's right. what it said. So yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah, so it'll be yeah. about twenty dollars Canadian. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not cheap anymore. No, but then nothing is really like no. like you know. So it's kind of like much of a muchness, really. And then you know you've got to like weigh up what you're getting. Like what we were saying, like portrait is a bit more sort of uh, plain, and uh, yeah, Sydney still four hundred D has got a bit more character. So I'm my mind gone Sydney still. I've used the metaphor. It's either Taylor Swift's backing band. Or the hives. <laughs> <laughs> and Lucy gets the reference. <laughs> yes. And I'm definitely going with the hives. Not <laughs> Same here. <laughs> not Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. That's, uh, that's interesting. I, I noticed on both of your, your feeds, uh, most of your work seems to be in color. Does color speak more to you or is that just a happenstance or... I think for me, it was just travel photography, uh, almost all the travel photography I saw, whether it was in Lonely Planet guidebooks or whether it was in, you know, tourist, um, you know, the Canadian tourist board or the British tourist board used to put out brochures and you could send away for them. Everything was in color. And so to me, it just made sense. We've got a lot of light here in Australia and being bombarded with all these travel images. I was, it, it was to me, I, I never even really thought about black and white photography. To me, it was like, why would you want to, why would you want to do that? I don't know. That was just how I thought about it, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I think for me, um, like I, I really like black and white and when I shoot black and white, I'm like, Oh, why don't I do this more? Cause it's really freeing. Like you're not having to look for, for color for one. So it kind of opens it up. And like, I like shooting a lot of buildings and I feel like you can shoot more, more buildings when you're shooting black and white than you can in color. Cause it kind of covers up maybe how modern it looks or yeah. Like it just, um, it, it opens it up a lot, but I think the reason that I shoot color is like other than being drawn to it and it you know um being something that I look for in my subjects I'm also terrified that I'm gonna like load up with black and white and go out and then see stuff and just be like right. oh no that was like the one photo that Take you know like yeah I suppose that's the that's the um I don't like doing that I like to just go out with just one like because mm. my partner every time we go out like the whole backseat is like full of like every single camera and then a lens and <laughs> this and that and I'm just like oh my god can we just go like I just have like one camera and like some extra film um so yeah and I think I worry about that like somebody on Instagram dm'd me the other day and said oh I only had black and white film and they'd taken a photo on their phone of um it was like a whole uh tin of like yellow paint had like fallen onto the like sidewalk so there was just like yellow paint like just dripped out and it looked so cool like even just as a, a phone sidewalk shot. and he was I like think, oh. i think i guess uh already having an influence on you do you guys say sidewalk or do you say we say footpath Footpath or pa- pavement yeah i always just say everything because like i, I like <laughs> i say just say thrift store because i don't want to say op shop and people are like oh what's that you're already, you're already you know? doing the conversions in your mind aren't you yes i am <laughs> yep um and i was like so sorry. The one of the several Americanisms that have been picked up by Canada. Sidewalk. Really? Yeah. Sidewalk. Yeah. yeah. Traditionally, it would be pavement. I think. Pavement. Yeah. 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 Pavement, concrete. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, oh my god, like you know, you, that's like definitely a time where you'd want color film, like to shoot that scene. It just looks so good. And I was like, oh, but yeah, I guess it can be solved pretty easy, Matt. I can just take another camera out. But then I'm like the person with like five cameras, or you know, 
Well, last night I took out, I, I usually take a backpack with me and people always confuse me for an Uber Eats driver, you know, because I've got the big backpack on my backpack. <laughs> but last night I just took two cameras. I took my Fujifilm Class S and in this I have Agent Shadow and I rated it at 1600. So cool. this is my first roll of black and white. I took, how many did I take? I took 16 shots last night. So this is my first roll of black and white for a while. So I'm kind of excited. Mm, I'm excited to see some black and white from you, Matt. So, Lucy, what you need to do is to buy a Hasselblad or a Bronica or something that takes interchangeable backs and yep. uh, you just take multiple backs with you and you're covered. Yep, that's true. That's another good uh, good solution. You guys have such good such good tips. Just go off the deep end and invest in some of these right. and, and a nice heavy boat anchor to go along with it. I'm just saying, just get a wagon. Just bring a wagon yeah. and just like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little red rider, rider wagon. <laughs> And then everyone's asking, is it, is it for your son? No, it's for the camera gear. <laughs> All the cameras, yeah. That, that is the good thing about having small children. By the way. other bonus of having small children, you can just use a diaper bag as your camera bag. There you go. Who's going to steal a diaper bag? you got to be careful with that, though. You don't want to mix the used diaper no. nappies diaper up with, with the... Yeah. You might discover a new look or new kind of genre. Yes. <laughs> you know, happy <laughs> accidents. <laughs> so out of curiosity, again, it's we're, we're sort of blessed here in southern Ontario. We've got a couple of really good camera stores that support the community. What's it like in, in Queensland uh, in terms of photo retailers who are willing to look after the film photography community and you're part of Australia. Are there any, um, what do you, uh, what, I don't know what it's like for you, Matt in Brisbane, but here on the Gold Coast, I would say no, not, not really. Like there's, um, like there's some digital camera stores that, um, like, uh, will process film. Um, one that I used film. to go to, um, like, yeah, and they do sell film, but it's ridiculously expensive. Um, and they've been really helpful, like in the past before I met my partner who now he can just fix everything. I would be in there all the time and be like, this doesn't work or how do I do this or whatever. Mm. And they would always be, be really helpful, even if they didn't really know, but they didn't have that, you know, really deep knowledge that, you know, somebody who's like super into film cameras would, but they'd always take a look at it and be really nice. But um, we don't have like a dedicated, like I see on Instagram stores in like America, like in, you know, I can't think of any coming to mind like right now, but um, you know, like Brooklyn film camera or like relics and all those places I see them. And we don't really have like on the Gold Coast where I am, we don't really have anything like that. Um, yeah. Have, in Melbourne, there's a lot, like there's a really good lab. There's a couple of really good labs here in Brisbane, but they're about, Brisbane is physically quite a big place. So mm. for me to drive to those places, even on a Sunday, it would drive, it'd probably take me an hour to drive there, drop off my, my drop off my rolls and then drive home. That's two hour round trip. And then, and then, yeah, you get the Dropbox photos, but then if I want to pick up my nags, it's another two hour. So I just post all my stuff to a lab in Melbourne, which is, you know, down South. It's about you know, uh, 1,500 kilometers from here, Lucy, or 1,700 kilometers from here. So we just post, I post all of mine down to uh, Ikigai Lab, who are a very good lab in mm. Melbourne. They've recently just, uh, they've got a, like solar panels on their, the roof of their lab, which is very common. Like we've got solar panels on our roofs all around here. And so they're, they're very environmentally conscious and they've just started a new recycling initiative as well. So there is definitely, there are companies in Australia that do that kind of thing. 
Um, Lucy, do you know a bit more about the recycling of the uh, the canisters that they're doing? So these little, yeah, like these little things. Starting like a program with the like the, the containers that your like thirty five um, millimeter rolls come in. I think they've got about like twenty thousand at the moment that they've had from in house from developing film, and then they've got from other labs around Australia. Um, and it's based off of um, a program I think in the Netherlands that does like a similar thing with like plastic recycling. Um, and yeah, they take like they're gonna take like all this like virgin plastic and um, melt it down and turn it into a new product for film photographers, which they've yet to announce what that will be. Um, but I just think it's really great that they're doing something with those canisters because I've always, and like any, all of you guys would know, like I always feel bad because you just, I, I sort of keep them. I've got them in like, you know, drawers in the kitchen. And the other day my son was kind of, you know, playing with one. And I think like, you know, you can find like tiny little uses for them, but you know, on the, in the grand scheme of things, it's creating a lot of um, you know, a lot of like single use plastic that's just getting thrown away. So um, I love that they've found something to, you know, to do with it. And I'm excited to hear what the, what the product will be. That's Very interesting exciting. because um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Ripsby. Uh, yeah. Yes. He's yep. an American who spends his time, but I think between Los Angeles and London, England, mm. he was selling rebadged from a pan 400 black and white film, but his packaging was sort of like a cardboard box or, sort yeah. of, or not even a box, but like a paper cylinder, like canister kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Is it like this? Yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah. So this is what I picked up at the camera fair. There's a there's another lab in Melbourne called, or they're actually a shop as well called Film Never Die. Um, a lot of some people in the Australian photography community don't particularly like them, and, I, and I'm not sure why that is. I don't personally know, but they were selling these. Um, I think these are just uh, respooled uh, Vision Three. So there's one in 800, and there's one in what is it? What's the other one? 200, I think it is. Um, but you get your little canister here with a nice sort of branding on, and it comes with a, a DX code sticker as well. Um, so, oh, nice. so there are, there yeah, are companies cool. doing stuff here in Australia. Um, but yeah, I guess sometimes, you know, if they're in Melbourne that you might not, you might not come across this stuff unless you hear about it online. Um, so that there's that as well. Yeah. We're kind of blessed up here. There's a company at Western Canada called flick film and they're again, same thing, respooling Kodak vision. They also respool, uh, Eastman double X, which is, Oh, an amazing film. Oh, so good. Yeah. And they're also doing Oro UN54, a.k.a. Uh, Lono, Lomo Kino Potsdam. And you can even buy that bulk rolls because I'm one of those guys that likes to roll his own. And But they also make film chemistry. So because like you know, some of us in our community, we process at home, both color and black and white and flick film covers both of those. And it, it's a nice option to have because otherwise your options in Canada are basically, if you're going to say downtown camera or Burlington camera, it's well, go to Ilford, take your pick. Maybe built, I think Burlington cameras now have, I think has a, a Rolly super grain developer and uh, I think road Nault, but that's it. It's like very little variety, but having that is sort of like, again, something that's, kind of immune to currency fluctuations mm -hmm. yeah and uh, EP, uh shipping issues and stuff like that as well yeah especially shipping like it, it, australia probably gets it worse than we do because we're sort of 
an appendage of the North American supply chain, but Australia is like, we're the dot down here. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got once a few years ago, I got um, Cine Steel, the, um, what's the single, Monobath, the Monobath? Actually, oh, B&H actually shipped, yeah, they actually shipped that to me from New York. Uh, but they wouldn't. Sh- I don't think they'd ship me some Polaroid. I was. I bought. Tried to buy some Polaroid of them uh, before I started buying it from the factory in the Netherlands. And they wouldn't. They wouldn't ship that because it had a battery. And but they shipped me the monobath, which I thought was. You know, I think it was because of the carrier. You know, uh, restrictions. Yeah, it's so um, kind of funny. Airlines if, won't, won't uh, ship uh, lithium-ion batteries. Uh, yeah. I have, I have a question about mm. uh, home developing and I've, maybe it's not such an issue during the Australian winter, but I'm curious in the Australian summer, you know, you, and I hear the temperatures that you guys can get to, it's pretty nasty. Uh, do you have any trouble getting uh, tap water to be cold enough to mix developers Like you have to put ice in your, uh, in a temper bath to get down to a 20 C temperature? It's not, it's not a problem for us because we send it to the lab and let them okay. deal with that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, I was going to ask you guys if you've done uh, color developing before because I do a lot. Like uh, Bill, James, and John know that I shoot primarily Polaroid, but that's mostly yep. because I'm too lazy to like develop my own film. The times I have tried developing black and white was definitely a lot easier than the color. And if you both shoot pre- predominantly color, I know you generally send it to the lab. Have you guys like try developing at home like color or black and white or um i also you go matt okay 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 i've only done uh first of all uh to answer john's question about the water temperature even in summer here like the the tap water is pretty cold it's it's not really um warm or anything unless you go outside to the hose and the water's been lying in the hose all day and then you you turn the hose on to splash the kids and they're like um you know you scold them with all the hot water (laughs) that's just that first bit that goes through the hose you know um i've done black and white with a mono bath and i didn't it was kind of cool like i had the patterson tank thingy and all the images came out but i don't know i i think sometimes the way I feel about it is I, I like doing it with a monobath, um, but I kind of felt like I'm not, I'm okay at scanning. I've got a scanner here, the Epson V550. It always puts those, it always says that the scanner is not clean. It has those lines, you know, those green little lines all over the scans. It just does, it's just a nightmare. And it, the amount of effort I put in and time just scanning my own images, I, I prefer now just to send everything to a lab uh, because I'm kind of time poor. I, like, but like I said, I did enjoy doing it. I think I would like to do black and white again. I'd also like to do color one day or perhaps um, E6. Um, but for the moment, I'm, I'm happy uh, keeping the lab in business, I think. Yeah, I'm kind of similar to you, Matt, and we've spoken about this um, before. I have, I've developed once um, back when like sort of like those early days I was talking about when I was like experimenting with film um there was a, a girl I was friends with and yeah she she was like oh let's try and do it and it was like very ad hoc and you know like I just barely remember it we did it in like her bathroom um and yeah like didn't take it very seriously the photos came out and I remember being like oh my god wow like the photos I took are like on the negative like it just seemed crazy like I didn't think it was gonna work like it seemed like some weird science experiment um and then yeah uh we like I remember she scanned them um and they looked really like foggy and kind of weird but I remember thinking like oh that's really cool like you know when you start taking like when you first start with film you think everything is cool like you get light leaks and not that that's not cool but at the start it's so much more endearing than like 10 years down the line when you're like, oh, damn, especially with the prices, like, you know, you want everything to look good. Whereas when you start, 
you have that like magical kind of like, oh, wow, like this is a cool effect. And um, I was really into that. So, yeah, I thought that they looked um, they looked cool, but then I never did it again. And now I think um, I probably missed the boat on like trying that because having a like a one and a half year old takes up most of my time. Mm. So uh, and my, my partner really wants to try developing film at home so much so that like he like if any videos come up on YouTube about developing film or anything like that, he, he like quickly gets rid of it because he's like, I don't want to see it because I know once I go down that like rabbit hole on YouTube, I'll then have to try it. And we don't have like the time or the like space to do that. So I think when he gets older, for sure, um, mm. if I'm not doing it, my partner will be, which will be great because then he can develop and scan all my film for, for me. <laughs> <laughs> and there'll be a backlog though, won't there? There'll be a big backlog and you'll... And then he'll be trying to edit the for... YouTube videos. Yeah. And it'll just, yeah, and then you're yeah. going, Lux, come on, come on, yeah, workflow. Make the music. Uh, yeah, workflow, <laughs> improve your workflow. <laughs> and that's the other thing. With you. Again, I, 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 I tuned into your uh, podcast with Mike Gutterman. And you guys, and it was really cool because you talked about music. Oh, thank you. Pretty much most of the episode. <laughs> yeah, two hours. <laughs> do, you, do you find music influences your photography? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um, like a lot of people are kind of like, oh, how does that work? Um, you know, like listening to music and then, yeah, like I think it's more of a the feeling of being inspired um, by like the imagery of um, certain like genres of music, like a certain time. Like I spoke with Mike about 90s grunge and, you know, like the gritty sort of black and white images then or um, just, yeah, like music videos, like a lot of music videos then were like cross-processed and uh-huh. like I, I wouldn't have known that then. Like, you know, it's, it's only now I'm realizing. Um, same with, you know, with, with movies and stuff as well. Um, like, yeah, so just getting inspired from like the visual side of music um, and then also like a vibe you get from like a song um, could, you know, match something kind of like uh, maps brilliant idea of doing playlists for film stocks on our uh, recent analog hour episode, which I thought was just so cool. I was so annoyed. I, I hadn't come up with that. Um, yeah. Like choosing a film stock and then matching it to um, how you imagine that film stock to sound is like a cool way of thinking about photography. That's, you know, like a little bit different to how we would normally um, think about it. So yeah, music for me is a huge influence. And then obviously Lux makes music like if he has like a spare moment to himself he'll be in here just making mm. something and you know sometimes he likes it sometimes he hates it but yeah like that is always the the music in in the the, the videos and we again like on another level we use that to sort of create like an episode so it's like oh shooting cine still 800 at night so like this would be the soundtrack for that you know so you think of Blade Runner and then you think of how that looks and then the film the film that you're using and then the music and it all connects up and I really like Hmm. that whole kind of vibe around photography so yeah all I could think about is just Sinistil and just like Tron and like just like 80s techno that's all I could think about yeah totally (laughs) yes yeah yeah that was like a Tron video game at like an arcade Hmm. um that we went to a while ago and we took heaps of photos they're on uh, Cine Still 800T actually, and um, yeah, like just that whole yeah whole vibe. It's like super cool, and anything 80s, like those 80s movies and like synthwave and like all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's really really weird because cool. I was shooting with Cine Still 400D, and it was like I was scanning it. I was listening to the remastered uh, 
album Tour de France by Kraftwerk. And it was just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. awesome. Yeah. I love that. Again, I saw them live too yeah. uh, recently. Yeah, I, that's so cool. That was an amazing show. It was like, if they get to Australia, yeah, go see them. Because Definitely. You cannot yeah. get there ever again. It's like, yep. find a babysitter for your, for your son. And, like, go. <laughs> and get out. Yep. Yeah, go while you can because you don't know when they're going to come back. Yeah. Mm. Music, it's interesting music. Like, Matt, do you find you have that as well? Like, do you have like other influences that sort of drive your photography? Like, for you, it was like basically travel brochures mm. and Lonely Planet. Is there anything else that kind of. Um, not so much music I, I was actually into music way before photography you know music was i used to play the guitar when i was a teenager and i used to love a lot of bands uh you know a lot of, a lot of bands from the, you know when i'm in the 80s from the 60s and the and the 80s and so music was always a big influence on me but not so much in terms of my photography um but it's funny like you know i looked looking back now at some album covers uh, I pick. I picked up. You know the unforgettable fire. U 2s album. Lucy, I love this yeah. one. She hates U two. And you know, I picked up the unforgettable fire, uh, and it's a picture of this old ruined castle in Ireland. And I've looked at this album cover a million times, and I picked it up a few months ago, and I was like, "That's black and white infrared photography." And and I, I was like, how, "How have I never noticed this before?" And I, I googled it up, and yeah, the the photographer. I'm, I'm sure it was Anton Corbin or who it was, but someone. I think it was Anton Corbin. Mm, he shot a lot of was, YouTube. Yeah, and he like did. A lot yeah, of other bands. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, it was black and white infrared film that they used to for this, you know, ethereal kind of image of this ruined castle in in Ireland. So. It, it is funny. I do like uh, looking at all the album, the old album covers, but um, no, music doesn't doesn't influence me that much with my photography, really. Yeah, that's okay. Everyone has different different influences. I think yeah. you know. It's nice yeah. to hear about the black and white infrared. I think that would be one. Uh, if you know, uh, Australia being a very sunny country, yeah. if there's any country on earth that would be perfect for black and white uh, IR work, I'd say really? yeah, you're in it. Oh, really? Well, I've actually oh, yeah. got when I picked up when I picked up those on eBay a while ago. I picked up two rolls of Kodak EIR, which is the highest, which is the the color infrared, and two rolls of the Kodak black and white infrared. So there's four rolls, and they're all they're all the same price. I think they're both like about twenty five US dollars a roll. And I've got them all in the fridge. I haven't shot any of them, but I, I desperately, what I want to do is when Lucy's finished with my, she's got my Olympus Pen FT at the moment. And I'm, I'm kind of figuring I'm just going to shoot at half frame on my Pen FT and um, see how that goes. Although the meter's not working, is it? The, the meter was working perfectly. It was working and then I borrowed it. And as you were handing it over to me, it stopped working. It wasn't Lucy's fault. Literally, the meter worked, right? I actually I actually had a pen FT, the meter worked, and then I dropped it on my foot one day and it stopped working, which is very common with pen FTs for the, the meter to stop working. So I bought another one from Japan and I sold my old one. And then I'm literally showing Lucy the one that's with, with the meter works. I'm showing Lucy uh, at the back of my car on the Gold Coast. And I'm saying, uh, this is what you do. And you, it'll say, you know, the needle will say four, and then you just turn the ring to four. for the, And then it literally just stopped working as I'm touching the camera. And I'm like, I didn't drop. I don't know what happened, but I think I'm. I think I cursed those poor cameras. Either that, or you shorted it and it just stopped. Mm. How I would one short it? I don't know static electricity. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah, static. I you have to de-static yourself. Look at it the wrong way. Yeah. Did you blink? <laughs> yeah, I did blink. I did. But I was going to say. I, I was going to say one way to uh, to shoot infrared uh, more cheaply. 
at least black and white. If you get a film like the Rolly Retro ADS uh, yeah. or the Ilford SFX 200, it has enough sensitivity above like the uh, the 720 nanometer uh, wavelength that if you get an IR filter, shoot it at about EI2 yep. and you'll get a pretty convincing look and it's a lot cheaper than trying to yeah, find the real thing. Film. Awesome. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what, how I would... Because a lot of the cameras I have, you've got to dial it, you know, if the ones I have got where you can dial in an ISO, I'm trying to think. I think the, the contacts G goes down pretty low. Uh, I think my class doesn't only goes down to 25, though. But then yeah. again, you wouldn't be able to use it in those cameras anyway because of the IR sensor, would you, for the, the film? Oh, well. That's right. Yeah, the film transport, yeah. And ideally, yeah. you just find a camera that's ma that has either mm -hmm. no meter or manual. And yep. it's basically, you know, EI2, and you basically sunny 16 it. Yeah. yeah, awesome. And overexposed by five to six stops. Why do I, I, I find like the the ADS? You know what? Oh, what? I'm talking about true infrared, of course. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Like with we, we what, like the uh, shooting at a two that takes the meat the, the filter into account. Yeah, half a second at f16 works every time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, yeah, yeah. Three stops overexposed generally. I find it is a, is a sweet spot for it as well. Even the the Roly 400 IR is the very good economical uh choice for true ir film now you know it's it's not as nice as the uh f key ir820 that's out there or that used to be out there mm -hmm. um i have that a couple rolls squirreled away next to my one roll of hie i don't know what weird special occasion or alignment of planets and mercury and retrograde etc cetera, etc cetera, that i'm waiting for to actually put that <laughs> stuff on the camera yeah but, you know, one day I might get off my lazy butt and give it give it a go, but uh, I don't Kodak know. Could bring, Kodak could bring back color infrared <clears throat> slide film and make a killing on it. Uh, yeah, I think I, there'd be enough interest. Yeah, yeah. The problem is, do they even have the capacity? Yeah, I don't know. And when you're going to do the EIR, you want um, a number eight yellow filter. I think I have one of those. And a yeah. polarizer. Dark yellow and a polarizer, mm. yeah. You'll be very happy with the results with the mm. IR that way. Excellent. I'll try that out. Yeah, yeah I haven't seen I haven't seen color infrared in years. I was gonna say I didn't know they did color infrared until well, you they did. It just it, now. It, it's yeah, it's um and that one you're gonna want to um uh, find a lab that will handle it, of course, because if yeah. they're doing yeah. any machine development, it will be toast. Yeah, so the, I think there's a lab in Sydney that do it. Um, yeah. They put it through E6, um, which yeah, I think is not the native yeah. one that it was originally supposed to be, some of the Kodak films, but E6 works apparently. Yeah, it, it's, it, it is E6, but you'd have to either hand develop it or mm. put it in a machine that does not use infrared sensors, sens sensitometry, yeah. right? So, yeah. And, and you have to load and unload your camera in the dark. Yes. Otherwise, <laughs> yes. it'll just light pipe and ruin the entire role. Ask me how know, I know. Oh yeah. no! Well, you know what? The reason I haven't shot one of the reasons I haven't shot one a roll so far is because I uh, my you know my dark bag my change bag I couldn't find it and I lost it for about six months in this jumble of an office and I actually found it after I gave Lucy the pen FT so I was like ah damn oh, but I've got damn. my I've got my um, dark bag now so I can uh, change bag so I can uh, I can do there that. You go. Mm. Well, you can always ship it here. I'm happy to do your E6 and C41 <laughs> for you. Awesome. When you get into color, this is the rabbit hole you get into. Yeah, it's a very, very impressive <laughs> setup there, James. Yeah, it's wow. Very nice. Wow, look at that sink. Oh, yeah. yeah. I made oh, my God. Yeah. 
So that, that is the rabbit hole that um, uh, when you shoot film long, long enough, that's where you yeah. end up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I believe yeah, of the games is like dark room and also like don't want to because, you know, rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. My dark room is a dungeon in comparison. It's like a furnace room. <laughs> it, it is a long, deep and twisted rabbit hole. I can assure you of that. So but it's fun. Mm. Right? It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, we're all here because we, we're doing it for joy. <laughs> Absolutely. So out of curiosity, um, what would you, what would be sort of, I gotta say, if, if circumstances, where would you, where would you like to travel if you've sort of like mined Queensland for all it's worth, where would you like to go to shoot? Uh, you, you go, Matt, because you're the travel, you know, you're the um, the, the one that I, I feel like, like you'd have a really good answer for this. All, all the places I, I've already been to a million times. So, you know, I love the UK. My wife's British and English and I love the UK and I love France and Europe. Um, but you know, I love Indonesia as well, which isn't that far away from where we are. And Japan, love Japan. But I guess really places, if I could get an all expenses trip paid anywhere, it'd probably be somewhere that's different to where we are. So one of the one of the trips I did a few years ago was to the Faroe Islands, which are this little group of islands, um, sort of in a in the triangle between Iceland, Scotland, and Norway. And there's just these volcanic islands in the middle mm. of the ocean there. And there's I I photographed the puffins. In fact, the puffins, Atlantic puffins, are my my background and my desktop here on my computer. Uh, I I was only really shooting. I was shooting film then, but I didn't take any film cameras. So I only shot digital. Uh, but it it was just so unlike where we we live. Um, so Canada would definitely definitely be on my list. I've never been to Canada. Uh, so yeah, I, I think anywhere that's different, you know, beautiful scenery. Um, mm. Yeah, warm, hospitable people like yourselves. Yeah, definitely. Well, we got plenty of that. Yeah, the Faroe Islands, I had uh, some friends who, it's sort of in some ways, it's kind of becomes the new Iceland because it's yeah. like Iceland is like, oh my God, run. bachelorette parties now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey. Wow. But Faroe Islands, like, to get there from, say, Toronto, you got to hop a flight to Reykjavik, then you're changing yep. another plane, yep. and then you're going to the Faroes, and it's like, getting there, it's not easy. No, and I, I had to go, we were, in, we were in the Midlands of the UK, so I had to go on a plane from Birmingham up to Edinburgh, and then change at Edinburgh in Scotland uh, to go up there. I think Copenhagen's the other gateway um, to the Faroe Islands, but it's, it's just it's just the most beautiful place. Like, there's not that many people there. It's very rocky. It's it's kind of like I think it, it got dark. I went. Th I think I went for a walk about midnight, and it was still like daylight. It was, it was really weird for us. Like, um, yeah. but it was just a you know there's all these ferries you get the ferry everywhere i got a helicopter to the island with the puffins and the helicopter costs like 15 bucks because it's subsidized and yeah what? it was just wow. yeah they subsidized it. the wow. funny thing is though with the helicopter is you have to get the helicopter there in the morning but then you've got to get the boat back well i booked the helicopter a month out right because i thought i don't want to there's only about 10 seats on the helicopter so i booked a helicopter a month out and then some idiot forgot to book the boat trip back in the afternoon and the boat trip sold out. So I oh. thought, well, what am, what am I going to do? They basically told me the only way you get on, you're going to get on the boat is if someone is sick and they never go that day. Um, so what I did was the only way I could do it is I went out in the morning on the helicopter and then the morning boat was arriving. I had an hour and I had to run around taking up this massive hill. It was massive for me. And I had to take photographs of all the puffins, as many as I could. And then I had to run down and get the morning boat back. 
it was just like a really bad, like usually I'm when I travel, I'm very well planned and everything. Mm. Um, but there you go. I had one hour on this island and, and I got some good photos I was, I was happy with. So seems like it was worth it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was I was that close to pulling out of the helicopter because I thought if I miss my trip back to England, my wife's going to kill me because <laughs> we yeah, had some stuff going as a family. Swim across the North Atlantic there. So. Or, it, or it's going to cost me like five, six hundred pounds for another ticket or something, or I, right. I don't want to do that. But luckily, I, I managed to have an hour with the puffins and that was pretty magical. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Sounds like one of the yeah. very last few pristine places left on the planet to explore. So Absol- absolutely, and you can get. I mean, you've got to be. There's a lot of tourists there. Probably about thirty or forty tourists that got off the helicopter with me. Oh no, sorry, there's about fifteen, and then, then more came from the boat. But you can get, you know, within five six meters of the puffins, um, and everyone was being, you know, relatively respectful. I guess you'd say no one was going up and trying to pat them because they're, they're wild birds. But, you yeah. know, I think in other places in the UK, like Scotland, you can go see the puffins, but you've got to stay like a lot, like a hundred meters back, you know, like, so I was literally five, six meters away. I had my uh, Fuji uh, 50 to 140 lens uh, on my X-T3. So uh, yeah, it was, it was really good. That, that sounds incredible. You have now added something to my photography bucket list. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So what would be your bucket list destination, Lucy, uh, if circumstances presented themselves tomorrow? Oh, God. Um, I feel like I'm really boring with this with, with, with this question because, like, I've been on trips to, uh, like, to Europe and to America and a couple of other places, and whenever I take photos, it's always, like, it just looks like they look like the photos that I would take here, like, walking around, like doesn't change and I um I'm very like like I when I went to Europe I like purposely didn't photograph like anything like any kind of like site like you know like the Eiffel Tower or you know anything like that because I don't know I feel like I always want to do something different so mm-hmm. I didn't want to capture anything that really like everybody sees this and yeah, the I feel typical yes it's 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 yeah. the empire's it's the Empire State Building. Oh, it's the Statue of Liberty. Pick on New York for a sec. The, the yes. tourist never-ending search for the angle no one's got of the Eiffel Tower, but yet everyone's <laughs> got the same angle. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I feel like you just sort of, like, I hate feeling like oh. I'm just taking a photo of something that, like, so many other people have. Um, and, yeah, so I, when I looked at all my photos, like, after every sort of, like, travel thing, I always think, oh, they don't really, like, like it doesn't really embody the place. So kind of the opposite of what Matt was saying, how he, like, you know, like he's, you know, the way he shoots like his area and he's trying to like, you know, show like, you know, this is like Cleveland or this is, you know, um, like, so yeah, there'd just be sort of like these nondescript scenes that could be anywhere, I suppose. So um, in that way, like, uh, like I, I like that, like that's sort of my style of photography. Um, and yeah, so probably, probably America, I like loved America when I visited, which I didn't think that I would, um, especially LA. So if I could go back anywhere, like would, would, would be there. Like I just, um, it felt so like iconic to me. And like, I grew up watching a lot of, you know, like everything is American pretty much in Australia, really like we're so, so quite Americanized. Um, and yeah, like I just felt like, um, I don't know. Like, I just felt like something was going to happen. Like I was going to become famous. So I know that sounds really naive and really, really silly, but I just had this feeling as soon as I stepped off the plane, I was like, wow, like I'm in LA, like this is so cool. Um, and it just seemed like anything could happen. And there was so much going on compared to mm. Australia where 
you know, like if bands come here, it's like really expensive to see them. Yeah. You know, like there's no small um, things going on like that, you know, um, like it's everything's quite expensive. And it just in America, I was like, wow, like like um, there's like a, a, a hardcore band called um, Germs from like the 80s. And one of the guys from that band was DJing at like a really small bar, which to most people, it wouldn't mean anything or it'd be like, whatever. But I was like, wow, like I'm in the same room as like this guy from a band that I liked when I was a teenager and he's just casually DJing. That would never happen here because he'd have to come all the way here. And you know what I mean? So um, stuff like that um, really just, yeah, I just had the best time. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely like idolizing it um, being, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of things wrong with America as well, but oh yeah. Uh, definitely i'm not trying to ignore those but just from a purely like growing up watching well, movies and listening to the ramones or you know just like all these things that are super american and i would just was like happy to be there like absorbing um that i had that similar vibe visiting new york city and again it's sort of like the canadian australian experience because we get a lot of american culture but we're not a, we're not well technically canada is in the americas but we're not american and yeah, yeah. We may sound like them, but and you blame, you squint, we kind of look the same, but you get up close and you hang out with us for a while, you realize, no, we're not the same. No, very different. Yeah. <laughs> very sure. different. But again, it's sort of like that sort of vibe. Anything can happen. And that's why my brother worked in New York City for a couple of years. And I was very fortunate to be able to stay at his place in uh tribeca and you know just mm. wander the streets and again i when i was down there i deliberately avoided times square mm-hmm. and state building if i wanted a view of the manhattan skyline i actually went to brooklyn and shot across the river yeah yep yeah just go for the weird and just mm. pretended i was a local for a week yes yeah that's how that's i like what you do it. Yeah. go into the neighborhoods like yep uh, I'm entertaining a photo blogger from the UK and we're just gonna just wander Toronto neighborhoods next weekend. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. That's a good way to show someone around. And that's like my style of like traveling and, and, and photography, you know, mm-hmm. like my photography just fits in with what I'm doing. So everywhere we go, like, you know, like I could take photos anywhere, like drop, mm-hmm. like drop me off in an industrial estate and I'll, you know, just walk around and shoot a roll of film and, or, or maybe it'll be somewhere else. Like I, I can make something out, like out of it, I guess. So I'm not mm-hmm. too fussed like where I am. I know that's a boring answer, but um, yeah. Out of curiosity, do you guys have a lot of fil- um, a local film photography community? Do they get together, go for photo walks? Cause we're, we're again, we're blessed because we got a concentration enough in Southern Ontario that we do monthly photo walks. Mm, that's pretty cool. We do, there's, I don't know, I, I don't think we, there are ones sort of organized here and there by by groups, um, you know, different companies or different labs and stuff, but not, I wouldn't say there's a regular thing. Um, it, it's kind of weird every time there's a face, there's a local Facebook group here in Brisbane and every time someone suggests it, people say they want to do it and then I don't think anyone ever does it. Um, there's a, there's, there is a massive Facebook group, you know, Australian film photographers with about, I think 15 or 17,000 people in, but I don't know. I don't think many people seem to go for photo walks here as much. Lucy, what do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with you, um, especially compared to what I see on Instagram um, in the US and in Canada. You, you guys, like in Canada, they seem to have like so many film photographers. Like I get messages from people like quite frequently on Instagram and 
they'll be like, Hey, I just found your YouTube channel and I love it. Or, Hey, like I bought an L35 AF or just, you know, a message about photography. And then I look on their profile. Cause I'm like, Oh, cool. I'll follow you. They seem to always be like from Canada. And I'm just like, it just seems like there's just, you guys just love film photography there. Um, just taking but, over, that's all. Yeah. You're just taking you're completely taking over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think we have um, like, yeah, that scene, maybe it's kind of hard in Queensland because we're quite spread out. Um, I know I saw Hashem from the channel Pushing Film um, on YouTube. He does a coffee and cameras thing, but he's in Melbourne. So, you know, um, it's there's a bit more going on there and it's a city. So people are closer together. They could all meet somewhere like more central, whereas for like Matt and I, it's a bit more difficult. Um, I have seen a few on the Gold Coast, like a couple of um, like uh, like photo walks like being set up, but I've just sort of seen it too late to really get involved. Um, and like, I think it would be cool, but also I kind of, I kind of like, I don't know how you guys all feel about this, but like, I kind of like taking photos on my own. Like, mm. I don't, I don't know if that makes me like a bad film photographer or bad. Not like, necessarily. Social. Again, <laughs> it's sort of weird with photo walks. It's sort of almost a social component because mm. it, it's kind of like you're amongst your own tribe. It's like mm-hmm. these people understand me. Yeah. Oh, for as sure. As opposed to, yep. yeah, shut up. Okay, we're done. We'll shut up. <laughs> but I, I find some of my best work is I when I'm out solo or I'm with one or two other yeah. people. And that's I, I agree. Yeah, my totally. best work is done alone because I'm focused on what I'm doing. And mm. photo walks are great, but to me, it's more of a social event. We're just to hang out and happening to take photos. You know, mm. like it's, yeah. But I think it, they're more common here in Australia for the digital photographers. Yes. Like I used to be big in the Fuji. Like I used to be big into the Fuji X. I mean, I still I got loads of Fuji X gear here, but. Um, they have photo walks in every city, you know, quite often. And I can imagine Sony and Canon. And it's funny how people all go to their, you know, their, their tri- little tribe of what's on their camera, you know. But, um, yeah, they, they, they are quite common. Um, and, like, big sort of companies will, you know, sponsor, you know, a tripod company or a filter company will sponsor photo walks. But I don't think – I don't feel like there's many – that many film – photography walk uh yeah walkabouts what do you call it uh, so it's really not photo much grassroots <laughs> community it's just sort of you know, interesting i like guess just sort of the, just the the mindset I, mm. I quite enjoy um i would definitely be up for a film photography you know uh what do you call it photo walk i'm like my brain's like a sieve but i i have i must admit i've only met up with about four different people uh over the last few years to go taking photos with um lucy and lux uh, two of those people i really i do really love just meeting up with one other person and mm-hmm. um i've met up with matthew joseph who's uh you know down in melbourne i met up with graham from the sunny 16 i went and visited him in england uh, and also my friend alistair so yeah, I, I really like just having a one on sometimes just a one on one, you know, with and, and walking around, especially with someone like Lucy who's got a very similar vision and, and we're like, Oh my god, look at that building over there. And we yeah, both we get both kept shooting the same, the same things. Yeah, yeah. I'd like go to pull the camera up and he'd already be like, you know, and I was like, Oh, oh, okay, you're gonna take a photo of that. And then I'd it'd make me think, Oh, I wonder how he took it. And then sometimes I changed my because I thought, oh, maybe you went for the composition I originally thought. So I'll go for something else. So it kind of pushed me a little bit to think, you know, think more about it and change it up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I agree with Matt. I think like one, like one person. Um, but yeah, like the group thing, I think is more of a social thing, yeah. which which I I still would really like to. But the the photo thing would be like I'd probably have the camera and maybe take a few shots, but I'd be more interested in just like chatting to the other mm. like photographers. Um, I guess. But yeah, I mean, we've we've spoken to um to Hashim I just mentioned from Pushing Film about doing a 
Um, like early this year, he spoke to me about setting up a film Padea, if I'm saying that correctly, like the one that was in yep. America. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like we, we, uh, we got Matt on board and we were sort of talking about how we'd set it up and how it would work and where it would be and how much it would be and sponsors and all that stuff. And it's quite a lot to organize. Um, but we, he's been busy, he's been traveling and stuff. So we'll have to revisit that and see if that's something that we could do in Australia, because I think there are a lot of film photographers in Australia. And I do think that you could get a few hundred people to like an event like that and they would really like it. It's just setting it up and obviously the financial aspect and, and it's, you know, it's which city where you, yeah. you probably choose Melbourne, yeah. I suppose, if you want the biggest turnout, um, but yeah. then 5 million people in Melbourne, 5 million in Sydney and they're a long, they're a fair way apart, you know, in that one hour plane mm. trip. So where do you choose? You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it gets down yeah. to those discussions, you know? Yeah. It's very daunting. Like you kind of have to, like, I didn't really, I only thought about the fun stuff. And then I thought about like insurance and just all these boring things that I was like, oh God, like and I just want right. to organize the event. The I don't wanna... walk and they trip over and then you're yeah. the organizer. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all, it's all that in it. But maybe one day. Hmm. Okay. I guess we, now, is there a question we haven't asked you, but you'd like us to ask? <laughs> I got a question for Chrissy. Oh no. What, what do you think? A lot of people bag. Uh, it's probably one that you, you know the answer to, I reckon. Um, so a lot of people bag Polaroid these days. What, what do you think of all the latest stock they've got out? Uh, <laughs> I think well, honestly, I, I'm, I'm kind of a Polaroid fangirl anyway, so like it really doesn't make that much of a difference to me. I, yeah. I'm like the fact that they're trying to be more creative and they're trying to be like more out there. But yeah. I find that if you want like kind of like more bang for your buck, I do tend to go more towards Instax, yeah, which is yeah. hilarious because I do like Polaroid 52 challenges then just watch all my money kind of go away. So, yeah, yeah. I, I've, most- I've got Instax cameras as well, but I, I, I think there's something ma- a bit magic, even though the results are a lot, much wider discrepancy of the results. I think there's something a bit more magic about Polaroid. There's something about Polaroid that I always do still like, even though like my photos are like never quite turned out the way that I want them to turn out. But at the yeah. same time, that's kind of like, part of what I kind of love about it that like yeah. no two photos are really going to the be same. the same. Yeah, no. so mm. That's part of the things I do enjoy about it. And then, you know, sometimes somebody sells a fancier Polaroid 600 SC and then all of a sudden you have a fridge full of film that you don't want to use anymore. <laughs> Why am I feeling attacked all of a sudden? That's <laughs> funny. I know a local photographer, uh, Jessica Cosmack, <laughs> And we met up for doors open and we were at the RC Harris water filtration plant. And she had, I think a 600 with peel apart film. It was like the Fuji peel apart. Yeah. And the end results she got. I saw some of those photos. They're just like fantastic. And it's just like, she just has that magic touch. Now granted, I also know know another local photographer. She has the same camera. Well, she wasn't so happy. <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah, I've still got problem is it's peel apart yeah. film and they're not making it anymore. So it's like yeah. ten dollars a frame. That's right. <laughs> and I when I first when when you could still get it, you know, it was 20, 20 bucks or twenty five bucks a pack. I remember I was just sat out here in the hallway and I had my one of my crappy line cameras. I've got the one twenty model, it's not very good. But I remember I, I couldn't pull it out and I pulled it out and all of a sudden the whole thing, ten frame, ten shots just concertinaed 
out of the camera and I'm like, oh, no, oh, I racked no. That was when it was cheap. Um, but I've got a Polaroid, you probably can't see, but I've got a Polaroid big shot up there and I've got the cubes for it. Uh, and I've got about, I think I've got about 12 packs of uh, pack film left. So again, it's a bit like the IR film. I'm kind of like, oh, you know, when, when am I going to, I just need to do it because um, it's not getting, you know, you know, any younger sitting up there. So. Mm. I also got the um, the Sensei, which is actually in a box over here to my like left over here because they have like the kind of like the one shots because they're they have them on sale at downtown camera for some reason so i bought like a box and i'm just like when am i ever going to use this like yeah yeah <laughs> but i don't know for the most part i guess like i know that there's a lot of like kind of like boo-ness to polaroid because of uh, what happened with spectra film and i feel like i got kind of lucky that i never actually shot spectra because i heard Same. that it was actually quite like lovely yeah so yeah. i feel like i kind of like dodged a bullet in that sense but like i do understand some frustrations. I do understand frustrations when it comes to to, to price, because yeah. what is it? It's like thirty dollars roughly for like a pack of like of eight photos, and yep. if you go to Instax, it shoots at roughly like one or two dollars a shot. So that's like, right. Yeah. So I do get yeah. it. But... <laughs> I just yeah, hope definitely. they keep making SX seventy. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. One. The press can. Oh, sorry. Sorry, you go. Go. You go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, um, like, yeah, the price definitely puts me off. I don't shoot, um, like, a lot of, of Polaroid, and um, I think there are people who seem to, like, be really good at it. Like, like you know, like, there's a real art to it, and um, I think you kind of have to love it to, to like, you know, you got to have that, like, love and passion for it. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I sometimes have luck, sometimes I don't. But, yeah, the price definitely puts me off, especially with the price of, like, you know, like, roll film going up and then like developing like I was talking to to Lux last night and I was saying you know I feel like it's kind of sad but I feel less experimental now with my photography because of the the like the the money side of it you know like I um if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be shooting it like I want to shoot shoot in a camera that I like know is reliable or like I know I'm gonna get like good shots with because I'm starting to think about my work more of like you know um, Nick, maybe, you know, I want to put that on the print shop or like, it's, I want to be proud of it, you know, yeah. rather than just sort of shooting to have fun, which I have always done. But I think, cause I've done that for so long. It's like, this is sort of new for me to think about my work as not serious, but just more like more of a like curated kind of like body of work or putting together something that I'm like happy with and proud of. Um, so yeah, it sort of changes, it changes it a little bit now that it's like more, more expensive, I think. Yeah, I think it's all of us. Uh, I probably shoot more for the fun of it with black and white color. It's like, especially when Kodak took its price increase late last year, I want to say. Time loses all meaning in COVID time. So I, I'm going to say late yeah. last year for, for sake of reference. And it's just all of a sudden, I just thought, oh, okay. Um, maybe no more Portra. Uh, maybe it's more Ultramax and then good luck finding Ultramax for six yeah. years. And yeah. I, I, I've been sort of following a controversy regarding how you there, there's one family that sort of brings Kodak into Australia. And somehow I think it was Bill, Bill Manning from studio C41 was uh, I think sort of going after, I think distributors were less than ethical. <laughs> did he, did he ever publish that or did he? Uh, I know he was chatting about it yeah. online. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I heard what he was saying. Yeah, I, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about it. It was interesting. 
Yeah, it, I'd have to do it, It's probably about a couple, three, four months ago. And it's mm. like, you just look at that and go, whoa. Yeah. I mean, the other day I paid, um, we got some C200 recently. It was on sale, wasn't it, from one of the retailers here. So Fuji, mm-hmm. Fuji Color mm-hmm. C200. I'm not sure if you guys get that, but ours was, it was about um, eight, was it like $7.50 a roll? It was pretty good. I good think it worked price, out to be, it? yeah, like $7.50 a roll, which is like really good. Yeah. And at the camera yeah, fair just- last weekend, I was, I, stupid idiot, didn't take any film with me to test the camera. And I ended up paying uh, $15 a roll for some because I was desperate. It was only, it was only one place selling films. <laughs> be, be prepared, everyone. Don't be like me. Yeah, learn learn from Matt. Yeah, <laughs> I had batteries with me and everything. Before. No film. Yeah, always have film with you, especially if you're testing a camera. Okay, I guess it's time to wrap this up. Um, yeah, it's Bill Smith, the classic camera revival. Stay cool and shoot tons of film. Hey, it's James Lee from the Classic Camera Revival. Next time uh, someone says your camera takes great photos, tell them you got it at the same shop that Stephen King got his typewriter. Chris here from Classic Camera Revival. Just want to say, see you later, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Uh, This is Matt Murray from Matt Loves Cameras. Keep shooting color film and be lazy, send it to the lab, and keep them in business. Uh, this is Lucy Lumen from Lucy Lumen's Analog Adventures. Uh, keep shooting, film, have fun, and don't take things too seriously. This is John Meadows. Whether you're shooting in Canada or Australia, any day with analog film is a good day. Ah. <laughs> oh, I see what that you did good. there. That was great. Uh, 